Chapter Fifty Five of the House by the Churchyard. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by John Brandon. The House by the Churchyard by Joseph Sheridan Lefanu. Chapter Fifty Five, in which Doctor Toole, in full costume, stands upon the hearthstone of the club and illuminates the company with his back to the fire two or three minutes later the hall door of stirk's mansion opened wide and the figure of the renowned doctor from dublin lighted up with a candle from behind and with a link from before glided swiftly down the steps and disappeared into the coach with a sharp clang of the door up jumps the footman and gives his link a great whirl about his head the maid stands on the step with her hand before the flaring candle the turk's head in werberg street shouts the footman and smack goes the coachman's whip and the clang and rattle begin that's alderman blunkett he's dying said the major by way of gloss on the footman's text and away went the carriage with thundering wheels and trailing sparks behind it as if the wild huntsman had furnished its fleet and shadowy team he has ten guineas in his pocket for that a guinea a minute by jove coining no less said the major whose pipe was out and he thinking of going in to replenish it we'll have tool here presently depend upon it he had hardly spoken when tool in a halo of candlelight emerged from stirk's hall door with one foot on the steps the doctor paused to give a parting direction about chicken broth and white wine whey these last injunctions on the doorsteps had begun perhaps in a willingness to let folks see and even hear that the visit was professional and along with the lowering and awfully serious countenance with which they were delivered had grown into a habit so that as now he practised them even in solitude and darkness then tool was seen to approach the phoenix in full blow his cane under his arm with his full-dressed wig on he was always grand and escalapian and reserved withal and walked with a measured tread and a sad and important countenance which somehow made him look more chubby and he was a good deal more formal with his friends at the inn door and took snuff before he answered them but this only lasted some eight or ten minutes after a consultation or a momentous visit and would melt away insensibly in the glow of the club parlor sometimes reviving for a minute when the little mirror that sloped forward from the wall showed him a passing portrait of his grand wig in toggery and it was pleasant to observe how the odd fellows unconsciously deferred to this temporary self-assertion and would call him not tom nor tool but doctor or doctor tool when the fit was upon him and Devereux in this day won two or three wagers by naming the doctor with whom Toole had been closeted, reading the secret in the countenance and by-play of their crony. When it had been with tall, cold, stately Dr. Pell, Toole was ceremonious and deliberate and oppressively polite. On the other hand, when he had been shut up with brusque, half-savage, energetic Dr. Rogerson, Tom was laconic, decisive, and insupportably ill-bred till as we have said 
the mirage melted away and he gradually acquiesced in his identity then little by little the irrepressible gossip jocularity and ballad minstrelsy were heard again his little eyes danced and his waggish smiles glowed once more ruddy as a setting sun through the nectarian vapours of the punch-bowl the ghosts of pal and rogerson fled to their cold dismal shades and little tom tool was his old self again for a month to come your most obedient gentlemen your most obedient said tool bowing and taking their hands graciously in the hall a darkish evening gentlemen and how does your patient doctor inquired major o'neill the doctor closed his eyes and shook his head slowly with a gentle shrug he's in a bad case major there's little to be said and that little sir not told in a moment answered tool and took snuff how stirk sir repeated the silver spectacles a little sternly well sir he's not dead but by your leave had we not better go into the parlour eh tis a little chill and as i said tis not at all told in a moment he's not dead though that's the sum of it you first pray proceed gentlemen dangerfield grimly took him at his word but the polite major got up a little ceremonious tussle with tool in the hall however it was no more than a matter of a half a dozen bows and waves of the hand and after you sir and tool entered and after a general salutation in the style of dr pell he established himself upon the hearthstone with his back to the fire as a legitimate oracle tool was learned as he loved to be among the laity on such occasions and was in no undue haste to bring his narrative to a close but the gist of the matter was this stirk was laboring under concussion of the brain and two terrific fractures of the skull so long and lying so near together that he and dr pell instantly saw twould be impracticable to apply the trepan in fact that twould be certain an instantaneous death he was absolutely insensible but his throat was not yet palsied and he could swallow a spoonful of broth or sack whey from time to time but he was a dead man to all intents and purposes inflammation might set in at any moment at best he would soon begin to sink and neither he nor dr pell thought he had the smallest chance of awakening from his lethargy for one moment he might last two or three days or even a week what did it signify what was he better than a corpse already he could never hear see speak or think again and for any difference it could possibly make to poor stirk they might clap him in his grave and cover him up to-night then the talk turned upon nutter every man had his theory or his conjecture but dangerfield who maintained a discreet reserve much to the chagrin of the others who thought not without reason that he knew more about the state of his affairs and especially of his relations with lord castle mallard than perhaps all the world beside possibly poor fellow he was not in a condition to have his accounts overhauled and on changing an agency 
things sometimes come out that otherwise might have kept quiet he was the sort of fellow who would go through with the thing and if he thought the best way of going out of the agency was to go out of the world also out he'd go they were always a resolute family nutter's great-uncle you know drowned himself in that little lake what do you call it in the county of cavan and twas mighty coolly and resolutely done too but there was a haunting undivulged suspicion in the minds of each every man knew what his neighbor was thinking of though he did not care to ask about his ugly dreams or to relate his own they all knew what sort of terms stirk and nutter had been on they tried to put the thought away for though nutter was not a joker nor a songster nor a storyteller yet they liked him besides nutter might possibly turn up in a day or two and in that case twould go best with those who had not risked an atrocious conjecture about him in public so every man waited and held his tongue upon that point till his neighbor should begin end of chapter fifty five recording by john brandon